0: Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this, Mass Movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, Mass Movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Welcome to episode 16 of Geekarama. This time we're going to do things a little differently. So, this episode is based around two interviews. Um, the first of which is with a uh, music industry insider, a long-time r woman, Paula Moore, who's recently released a book called Glitter and Grit that I cannot recommend enough. It's, it's a comprehensive, entertaining, and, <laughs> and compulsive look at life behind the lens in the music industry. Um, so, yeah... This is Paula, uh, and this is what she had to say about um, her book, Glitter and Grit, which you can order now from Amazon. So, uh, without further ado, take it away, Paula. I'm not bad. No, I'm not bad at all. Finally glad we could be able to actually do this. I but know, <laughs> I know.
1: Well, how was your trip to Florida? It well, was... I know how it was because I listened to the podcast about
0: it. Oh, it was, it so, was uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm
1: a little under the weather and a little tired. I, I was in the studio until like 2 a.m. last night, so I'm oh, no. trying to get this audio book done. <laughs> it's just, you know,
0: so you're crazy. recording yourself, yeah? Um, well, it's being
1: produced by a, a Grammy Award-winning hip-hop producer, Che Pope. You okay. know, hip-hop producers have that skill of the uh, spoken word, so... <laughs> So he's been a good friend of mine for a long time and is also in the book. And I thought that was my, that would be my safe space, right? Like recording it with someone who actually experienced some of those things alongside of me.
0: Right. So So what made you want to write the
1: book? Well, um, I started writing it before the pandemic. I really set out to share some knowledge about how I view my creative house and, and kind of share that philosophy that I've adopted um, and created over my career. And then slowly during the pandemic and launching a new company, some other things happened. And I was like, well, maybe I should share some stories about what happened to me um, to kind of play into why the creative house philosophy
0: works for me so that's that was kind of it so it always amazes me when people's journeys into the music industry how did you get your start what what prompted your journey what made you want to become part of the music business and is it what you thought it was going to be <laughs> it never is
1: <laughs> well i think i had a natural gift or connecting people, okay. you know, from my early, early age, just recognizing where people might be a good fit for whatever reason, either personal friendships or, or work-related relationships. And when I was in Texas, I just kind of got immersed in the alternative rock music scene and, and became friends with a lot of artists and wanted to help them and and be a part of it, even mm-hmm. though I was not never- myself. <laughs> um, I did, I did take a stab at it, but I was not good at it. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of, it was a, it wasn't, in, it wasn't intentional. I just, right. um, I was good at bringing people together and I, I started as a club promoter, like doing club nights to try to promote, you know, community coming to my events. Right. And then, then I moved into, booking bands and I booked bands for a long time and became a um, a club promoter slash booking agent. And then labels started calling me and asking me for input. And I was like, "Hmm, I, who are you and what do you do? And that's when I learned what A&R was. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'd like to do that. So I kind of, that's how I got on the journey of, of trying to become an A&R scout.
0: So, was the business what you thought it was going to be or was it even worse?
1: Well, here's what I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know a lot about the business of music right. when I started. Um, I just thought like, hey, people put money into artists and, and put their records out. Like I didn't understand all of the the nuances and, and deliverables mm. of being in the business of music. I did – end up enjoying that aspect but it took a minute you know I was like, <laughs> I was like oh no am I screwing someone over or not you know, like there were times when I couldn't figure out if I was a benefit to an artist or uh what I was doing and the you know the deals or, or or whatever that they were signing or and to get the money to get the support if that was um detrimental to their career so you know there were those moments where i was like do i really do good or do i not <laughs> um and you know like yeah. it's been a long time like it, it can go either way right right or somebody's career or kill it oh. <laughs> so you know and it,
0: all, it all depends on the label as well sometimes you end up working for the worst labels in the world and they just absolutely tank everything because one account manager decides he's going to run off with all the money, so yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard because they have a they have a lot of um, things they have to do from a business standpoint, and, and everything is 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 at the end of the day related to the recoupment, right? right? So if the artist delivers a record that they that the label doesn't think they can recoup on, then it's you know.
0: And the the worst th- like,
1: that should be problematic. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the worst thing is when bands get advances. And they think, oh, nice, free money, and don't, then they don't realize that you've got to pay that back. That's, that's there's a reason it's called an advance, rather than you know, this is like it's not called free money. It's an it's an advance, and yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's essentially a loan that you are delivering against, and it's up to the artist to deliver. You know, to pay back that loan and. And also see some success measurement, um, and from from other lines of, of income. You know, merch and touring and all of those things play into it. But as far as delivering a record, it, it it's a gamble on both sides, right? It's it's art and commerce.
0: So, do you think that the business really is run by the suits, or do you think the creatives are getting are getting more control? And an upper hand in the industry at last.
1: Well, I have to say I love the communication that's going on right now, and social media is is helping with that communication. Artists have a platform, and creatives have a platform to talk about their their viewpoints, um, and hopefully, you know that that starts to manifest a, a change, a, a sea change, if you will, in how artists and, um, creative professionals that are the executives in charge of their careers, basically, yeah. um, can communicate in, in a way that it's mutually beneficial, but elevates the artists, um, knowing that we have all of, these, all of these tools that we didn't have, you know, even 10 years ago, right? Like there's so much more we can do to support an artist or support the industry um, that sometimes I see is being utilized well. And, and, and again, I think the communication use of social media is very valuable right now.
0: Okay. So when I mean, you've got a lifetime of memories in the, in the business, so Who was your favorite artist to work with and why? Uh,
1: Well, I mean my favorite artist to work with, I I would have to say was Santi Gold. Um, Hmm. not only because she's my friend, but and I, I was invested as a friend to see her be successful. But her her talent and and her just ethos as a person I just, I will always want her to win, right? <laughs> I, just, I still have that passion. Like I want you to win, <laughs> um, and she is winning, and she and she has won. But you know, look, artist careers are, are. It's really hard to have longevity, mm-hmm. right? If you're not like the the global superstar right out of the gate, it's really hard. It's it's a. It's an emotional challenge. It's a creative challenge. It's a day-to-day challenge to continue to create like that and have your output, your art be, you know, subjectified by, by all the means that, that happen in order for you to release that art. So I just really have admired her over the years. Um, keep Keeping it real and, and being authentic to her personal and creative brand and and pushing the boundaries where she could and, and, and making things happen the way she was able to make them happen.
0: So, what's been your worst moment? Because everybody has like a, a, a major moment when everything goes wrong. When it feels like everything's about to tank. Um, I mean, for me, it was having to take a load of bands from what... I find them a new label because the label had tanked. Um, mm-hmm. And... There must have been a point where that you reached where you thought, "Is this worth doing? Is 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 this what I thought it would be?" What was that moment? What was that moment for you?
1: That happened yesterday. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 it's like that. That's the daily question. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were there were quite a few moments. Obviously, like in my book that I, that I point out and more moments that I, that didn't make it into the book. But I think, you know, at, when I was at War, when I was at universal first, I mean, thank goodness I had such an awesome experience with my first and our executive job right? because the next couple of ones <laughs> were very challenging. Mm. And, um, you know, I think the worst moment was just dealing with, with, being at a a Warner music group and trying to do something innovative and trying to, to build something that was, that was so new that it was hard to get people on board with. And then just hitting that brick wall over and over and over again and having to keep pushing. And, you know, it was just, it, it was, a I was elated to have the energy to do it and, and, fight through it but it was it was it was a devastating experience for me to be honest
0: so how do you feel when you held your book held your book in your hands for the first time knowing this is this is me this is so this is me completely me you know something you created
1: well as you know I've created a lot of things in the music Mm. industry It, it, it did do some some things that changed the trajectory yeah. of, of in the music industry. So I think that when I got the book in my hands, it just felt like, okay, I finally took care of my creative house. Yeah. Like I, I, I wasn't trying to in the moment while I was building all of the, all, all the things that I, that I was doing and, and pushing the boundaries. I wasn't taking care of my creative house. I wasn't promoting myself. Mm. Right. And we didn't have social media. (laughs) So there was never a way for me to do that Um, other than press releases, which as you know, you know, former PR. Like it's, you you don't know that you're going to get that kind of traction with people not, not knowing what you actually do. So having it in my hands, I was like, okay, this now cements the things that I have done in writing, in a book that hopefully will have an impact on the future me's uh, that are trying to break into music business careers um, or or emerging artists that are trying to navigate the music industry as it, you know, just completely morphs and changes almost on a daily basis. It's hard for artists and, and creative professionals. So that, I think that was like, my moment of feeling like I contributed in right. like a physical book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, their success, to their future success.
0: I mean, it, it is. I, I, we've got the i got the PDF. I've read the PDF, and it's a remarkable journey. It really is. You know, and you you've got a gift for words. So I what what, what, what I want to say is it shouldn't end here. You need to write oh, more. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not going to, and, and, you know, listen, I think it was the best timing for me and my, where I am in my career and where I am in my creative process. Mm -hmm. It was the best time for me to write the book and, and share those stories that I, you know, I don't need to hold on to them. I lived them and they motivate me in different ways negatively and positively um but i felt like it was it was something i could share with other people um and hopefully help them on on their journey
0: okay so where can people get the book i mean i i I recommend they do i I really recommend they do before we go any further
1: it's available on amazon globally Mm -hmm. Um, and then, as soon as the audiobook is finished, we'll be releasing that before September because um, we want to, we're going to be going for a Grammy for the audiobook. Nice. And oh. <laughs> that means we have to release it before September. So, once that's out, it'll, you know, it'll be available on all the audiobook platforms, Audible and such. So,
0: okay. So, what advice would you have for anybody looking to enter the business side of things rather than playing? The band and being a creative force on the, out, on, st- on stage rather than behind the scenes. What, what what advice would you have for the person who wants to be the force, the driving force behind the business five years, ten years from now?
1: Well, I think I have two pieces of advice. One is a uh, is a consistent theme in my book, which is be prepared to be betrayed. because you will always be part of it, you know? Um, And the second is no one knows your vision like you do. No one knows what you can accomplish, but you do. So trust yourself, trust your gut, and believe in yourself because you're the one that will believe in yourself the most.
0: Right. So is there anything else you'd like to tell the world or well? I say the world, I mean mass movements' audience, (laughs) (laughs) about Glitter and Grit?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's full of true stories and, and I'm pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty raw about it. Um, and then every chapter has this, you know, self-empowerment piece that relates to my philosophy of building and maintaining and, um, cultivating your creative house as, as you, as a creative professional, there's that piece of you. When you, when you live a creative lifestyle, whether you're a creator or a creative professional, you live a creative lifestyle. there the, there's the lines are blurred, right? So that's really what the book speaks to is my life as a creative doesn't ever stop nine to five. It's 24 seven. And dealing with that and, and maintaining my my ability to continue to create is, you know, what the book is about.
0: Okay. Well, Paula, thank you so much for your time. This evening for me, it's morning for you, but <laughs> thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope the book does well because it really deserves to.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully we'll Bye. speak again soon. So when the audio book comes out, we'll definitely do another interview.
1: Cool,
0: that'd be great. Okay. Thanks. Jim. Thanks, Paula. Bye-bye. Okay, I mentioned earlier that we've got a double interview episode, this episode. <laughs> Two interviews, double interview, yeah. Um, but before we move on to our second episode, uh I'm gonna spin a track which has been sent to us by yakko from Destiny Records. It's by Siberian Meat Grinder, it's called One United Family, and it's taken from their latest album, Join the Cult. This is Siberian Meat Grinder, time to get united.
2: We are a group One united family We are the jaws of you Gotta wear the cross You can't cross the path Standing by our partners To basically meet the air
0: So, as promised, here's the second interview of this episode. Um, It's no big secret that I am an RKL fanboy. I'm a massive mark of the band and have been since Marvel from Autonomy Records. Um, Made me buy a record called Rock and Roll Nightmare in either 1987 or 1988. I'm old. Uh, My memory's getting foggy. Um, Anyway, even though they haven't really been around for almost 20 years... uh, Fat Records are about to release a new live record from RKL. It's called Live and a Dive. And it is quite possibly one of the best live records I've ever heard. And this gave me an excuse to finally catch up with Chris Rest from a band I absolutely mark out for, RKL. Um, as you probably know, Chris also plays in Lagwagon. and he played in The Other. Um, and yeah, I just finally get a chance to speak to Chris Rest was one of those life-affirming moments, one of those things which you really yeah I, I can't i can't even begin to describe it to me it was it's one of the best interviews i've ever done uh, i got a chance to speak to one of my musical heroes and he was everything I, I thought he thought he would be and wanted him to be um so without further ado this is chris rest and he's going to tell you all about RKL's new record on fat Wreck, which is called live in a dive so chris the floor is yours
3: How are you doing? <laughs>
0: I'm good. How are you, sir?
3: Very well, thanks.
0: Okay, so why now? Why, why live on dive now?
3: Um, what happened was that they found these tapes that were uh, still, all the tracks were separated, and our friend Justin said that he would be happy to Mix and master the tapes, and uh, we weren't sure what we were going to do with them. And then I uh, talked to Fat Mike about it, and he was—he got excited. And so, uh,
0: <laughs> that was that kind of
3: never RKL's never put anything out on Fat Records before, so now.
0: It's weird because Lagwagon now is, is four, four fifths of the last line of RKL, and Joey was in RKL at one point, so essentially you're still playing with. RKL. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how how do you feel about the record now that it's out there?
3: It was a great. I remember. I mean, our bomber, bomber was on fire that night. I mean, it's it's kind of the typical RKL chaos. It's hard. It's like on the edge of chaos and and uh, control there, but. There's some pretty cool moments in the recording.
2: You, know, you always
3: hear stuff. I'm not, I'm not a very good critic of myself. I'm always over analyzing the performance. But overall, I thought it was a good show. And I remember uh, that it was a, a really cool show.
0: Yeah. No, it's, I mean the, the record's fantastic. But uh, I mean I'm going to say that because I'm a massive RKL Mark. Because there's literally rock and roll nightmare was on his records. It was a life changer for me and a game changer. And, you know, so is there going to be any more RKL stuff? Are, are we going to see um, you replacing Jason Obama? Or is it too much and too difficult to do?
3: Um, it's, it is difficult to do, but I, I have a feeling that this record is going to generate a lot of uh, attention for the band. and It's already... We've already gotten a lot of attention these last two years for some reason. There's been like a resurgence of interest in the band and probably partly due to bootleg T-shirts that <laughs> people buy and start seeing at shows. They're like, what's that? And then they look it up. You know. Well,
0: because um, there's, there's a me first the give me gimme shirt as well that featured, you know, the RKL.
3: No effects. No effects. Use the logo for something. And, uh, and then Fat Mike's been wearing our our – RKL t-shirts for quite often for some pretty big, like his weekend at fatties. Yeah. Video he wore the RKL shirt the whole time. And he just did a podcast about Danny sites and I was on that. So yeah, we've been generating a lot of interest. And um, you know, we did a project called the RK Aliens. Okay. And it, and then, um, so that was it started off when our our good friend Ted passed away and we did a benefit for his mother and we got the band back together with, uh, probably about four different people singing different songs. Mm -hmm. And then we did a few shows after that with just one of those guys singing. And then, um, just last year we did sort of a, a, just a streaming, not streaming, but a, sort of like uh, one of those COVID videos where we recorded uh, our own separate, all did our separate videos. We actually recorded the music at rehearsal at a lag wagon rehearsal. And then Tony from municipal waste saying um, okay. sarcasm, sargasm And we put that out on, um, on YouTube. I think it was. And I got some good response. So, um, Possibly, if we were to actually do the RK Aliens, I don't think we would call it RKL without yeah. Jason. But, I mean, we have done RKL without Balmer. Um, and that's just basically because Balmer quit. He wasn't, like, he was still alive when we were doing that. But, I mean, it's it's not really RKL without Jason on vocals. I um, but the R.K. Aliens kind of refers to anyone that was ever in R.K.L. And so it kind of gives us the opportunity to have maybe a revolving door of you know, guitar players or drummers and such.
0: So what, looking back, what what's your favorite memory from the time you were in R.K.L.? Because, I mean, there's, there's, there's literally hundreds of stories and they've all become yeah. legendary in, like, folklore Um and there's, there's that incredible video of you guys playing Berlin with, with Blocked Out, which is just the definitive version when you just you, you are locked into a solid groove and you, you just go... So what's your overwhelming, overriding memory when you think about the time in RKL? What's the one thing that springs to mind? Uh,
3: that's hard to say, for sure. Uh, I think when we came came back from Europe and we played the receipt of country club here in California. Like before we had gone to Europe, uh, we didn't have much success in California and we came back and we sold out that club, which was not a huge club, but for us it was a big deal. We sold that place out in like a matter of minutes and had a great show, but it ended up being one of our final shows in that lineup. Cause that, after that, Ballmer decided he didn't want to play drums anymore and he wanted to sing that was the you know beginning of the reactivate era of the band and that was like sort of a a, a valley in our career I
0: suppose. <laughs> so and, um, so do you, do you regard that as being a, as, as being a true RKl record or
3: no I don't I mean, we weren't even our, a real band yet at that time. We had just gotten Dave on drums, and he had never played that style of music before, really. Right. And he had just learned the songs, and we were doing them too slow. And the record is just—it's—it's it's just horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just an aberration. It's just a just a, a blip on the journey, yeah.
3: Yeah, it took us years and years to to get past that.
0: Richest R- of it. Richester Rags is a fantastic record. It sort of picks up the legacy where you left off with Rock and Roll Nightmare. It just carries on the thing.
3: Yeah. I mean we were really proud of that because that was the first record that we did without Bomber as a writing uh, contributor. So we, we had to Basically, we felt like we needed to put something out that was comparable to Rock and Roll Nightmare, but we didn't have Bomber in songwriting, so you know, we just worked really hard on that, and it all came together pretty well. We we did everything right. You know, we demoed the songs first, recorded them, and and then then we were like ready when it was time to actually record the record.
0: Do you ever do you I f-
3: wish that it had been out on fat?
0: But, you know. <laughs> do you ever feel like the wind always got knocked out of your sails just as you were about to, you know, reach the next next level, take the next step up with RKL? It was kind of we've got the songs, we've got the energy, we've got the stage show, and then something kind of comes in and, and sidelines you guys.
3: It's probably ourselves that <laughs> sideline us, but yeah, I, I, there is a there is some. Pretty clear indication, indicators of that. I think our last show we ever played with Bomber was the Ramones show. We played with the Ramones in Santa Barbara, and uh, I think if we had continued at that point and gone, you know, done another album and went back to Europe, we probably could have been, you know, on No Effects level. Oh, easily. The next five, five years, but you know, uh. You know, Bomber had so much music inside of him. He didn't feel like his songs were being properly performed with Jason's singing ability. But he he just couldn't see that. Uh, I don't know the way that Bomber heard the songs in his head were not the way they were being right. performed. So he he decided that he felt that his his ideas were being held back. You know, he thought he saw much more potential in at least in his own songwriting. And so he felt, you now he wanted to be like, you know, something between living color and, and Aerosmith or something like that. Like he was thinking more mainstream, I think.
0: All right. Cause maybe even Fat Mike says there would be no, no effects if it wasn't for RKL. And, you know, in my head, there'd still be no there'd be no lagwagon if it wasn't for our There'd be no Pennywise if it wasn't for our because you guys were uh, were at the forefront. You you guys were the progenitors of the whole movement.
3: I'd like to agree with that, but I, I I don't know if I entirely agree. I don't think no effects would be the same no effects,
0: right?
3: And I don't think lagwagon would be the same lagwagon, but they probably would have still existed.
0: Because you, you kind of wrote the musical blueprint for that whole movement, the whole, where, where musicality was valued just as much as energy was. You know, it wasn't about playing three chords, it was about song structures that just massively blew people away when they heard them.
3: Yeah, and, and we were copying, kind of trying to copy the Bad Brains and mixing that with a little bit of Iron Maiden, I think is where we kind of found our corner. Right. And yeah. because we, you know, I grew up listening to classic rock and new wave. And, you know, when we started RKL, I had only been listening to punk rock for maybe two years. And before that, you know, I did own a Clash album, but I, I was too young to even know that they were a punk band. I didn't have any older siblings to tell me, you know, what to listen to. So I just discovered things by accident. And one of my friends bought the Sex Pistols out, uh, never mind the bollocks. And that was my first true, like knowing that this, I was listening to something that was punk rock. And I decided at that moment that that's
0: what I wanted to play. The weird thing is, when, with, with you guys, you sort of transcend punk rock. And it's, it's almost like, because the time Rock and Roll Nightmare came out, you were also at the forefront of the crossover movement. And it wasn't as aggressive or outright thr- and thrashy as like DRI or COC or any of the other bands that were leading at the time. And it had a more, again, melodic edge. And you proved that there was more to punk rock and more to metal the meeting in the middle than, you know, yeah. the average layman would have... I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm gassed on like a fanboy, but that's because <laughs> I genuinely am, you know, because that record genuinely changed my life, and it was... It was an incredible yeah
3: well i'm glad i mean i don't think we ever got labeled as a crossover band and yeah. that's a good thing because because i'm glad we could have signed a metal blade and probably got lumped together with dri and, well, i don't know maybe slayer would have covered one of our songs <laughs> that definitely helped them out a lot but, you know i'm glad that we never really got that label because I know Bomber was not a huge fan of, of thrash metal. Uh-huh. He thought they were stealing you know punk rock's speed and energy and you know, and then making it something that was more pretentious and and kind of lame, so he was against it.
0: So I mean it can't be I mean it it can't be easy for you, you know, looking back towards Afghail having lost, you know, two of your closest friends. During the band's time,
3: more than that.
0: So, you know, it's do you ever think that maybe what what the band would have been like if Jason and Bomber had still been here?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I just, yeah, it was was definitely unfortunate that Bomber felt like he had needed to leave the band. It was unfortunate that. Drugs were part of both of their lives. Um, And of course, it was unfortunate that we lost them, as well as Derek and several other of our friends. Um, Yeah, I mean, Bomber had such boundless, like, visions of, of what he wanted to do with his music. I mean, he even, like, early on, he wanted, he wanted to combine theater and, and special effects and all kinds of totally artistic, strange things to our show, you know, he, he had this vision of the band, you know, like he was super into Queen and like, you know, he became a pianist and I don't know, he was just an art a painter. He uh, was into choreography and all kinds of interesting stuff. So, you know, we just wanted to be a super tight, awesome punk band, but, you know, he had all these other aspirations and that's kind of what led him to leave the band. He just felt like we were maybe holding him back. then later, you know, I joined his band, the other, when his other guitar player left, and that record, I'm actually very proud of that record that we did. And we only, we never got to play really outside of the West Coast of the United States, but that was, that was actually, I, I look back on those years fondly because Palmer was healthy during those times for the most part. And we had a lot of great memories from that as well.
0: So, because it's, I mean, it's, it's a, for most people, they've never had a chance to see RKL. I mean, you, you play Europe twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: no, we went back, we went back, uh, I think there was four tours two with Bomber on drums.
0: Right. The
3: third tour, Bomber started off on vocals and then he went home. And Jason came over and we finished the tour with Jason on vocals and then we came back one more time with Jason and Dave on drums and uh, we were touring the Riches to Rags album on that tour. Yeah. So we did one Riches to Rags tour and that was the end of the band I think at that point until we reformed later again, like years later.
0: So was there anything you wish you'd done differently in the early days of the band that could have had an impact on the on a latter period when the band reformed and
3: Yeah, I mean I wish I wish that we had uh, just been more focused. I wish that we had better recordings of our music. I wish that oh, I mean let's see what else. I mean. I wish we never put out <laughs> Reactivate. Uh, yeah, I wish that I could have talked Balmer into not leaving the band. And, you know, I wish that we could have done something about their drug addictions. There's, there's a lot of things we could, have, wish we could have done.
0: Okay, so let's bring it back around to the live record. So, now you've released on F.A.T., it was it just the timing was right, or, or was there something? Because I mean, I know you guys with Lagwagon, you've you've been playing like Scab on my brain, um, and live. So I'm just wondering if there's there's a, there's, a, there's another reason behind the, the, the live record appearing now, apart from just the tapes making it b- being ready again.
3: Um. Well, the timing just had to do with uncovering those tapes and finding Mm -hmm. someone that could mix them, and then just Fat Mike being interested in releasing it, because we didn't know what we were going to do with it. Some other guy on the East Coast was uh, interested in releasing it, but he wouldn't have had nearly the uh, reach that Fat Records does. Um, So I'm glad that it it ended up where it is. Um, it was just really just the timing of uncovering the tapes. And it was good timing because there has been, like I said, a lot of renewed interest in the band. For what reason, I'm really not sure. I think it has to do with maybe just young kids lurk, looking for what 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 is the cool thing to into that was from before their time, you know, right. and they they see those shirts and the cool you know cool artwork and and they start hearing the rumors about the band and finding you know YouTube videos. Um, <clears throat> so maybe it's, you know, it's just I have noticed that the this young generation of kids are into guitar music, which right? Is cool, yeah, and so that's great. There's been I've seen a lot of really talented young kids on, gu- on guitar especially on, like on YouTube this last five years or so I think so it's, that's good because I was getting really sick of just only electronic music coming out of, of young kids and just that's the only thing they listen to and like guitars were and real drums were kind of fading out. It was only the dinosaurs that still played them, so that's that's exciting.
0: So is that do you, do you ever think that maybe you're gonna reissue the D V D the, the Mold Soda did, the RKL D V D? Um Or at least it's a streaming special or
3: I think it's already out there. I don't know. Um, I scooter would probably re-release it i don't know if he has any money i don't know how his label's doing or anything i don't really talk to him that well he um i think it would be difficult for someone else to release it i don't think he would uh, give up the licensing for it but right. i
0: don't because i that, because that, that was you know a, a really cool potted history of the band at that point
3: yeah, so that was two shows. It was two thousand four and two thousand five, and the two thousand four, I believe, was the one with video, and the two thousand five, Jason was in really bad shape for that show. He was near the end of his life there, and um, yeah, he he was uh, health his health was was not good at that point.
0: No. Um, so if you have to choose, if, if so, so you want, wanted to sell the live album to someone and there's one track you could play to them, offer to say, this is what we were, this is what we did. Which track would you choose?
3: Well, one thing I really liked about this recording was that that song, Rumors, yeah. was much tighter and you could actually hear what's going on a lot better than on the Berlin live record. And some of that has to do with the Berlin record it has all this room mic sound on the recording and it made it very kind of washy sounding. And that was partly my fault. <laughs> I said, oh, we had this great room. We should put that sound in there. And then later when I heard the mix, I was like, oh, man, probably should have
1: only put it up during the in-between songs. But it was too late and those
3: tapes are gone. There's another recording from that same '88 tour that we did a multi-track recording at a smaller venue in Berlin, and it came out really good. But Bomber was sick that night, and he told Dave Pollock from Destiny that he was he couldn't release that, and we had to do it again because he was sick that night. <sighs> and we don't, and we don't know what happened to that recording either. Is Dave I've still on heard it? it. No, we don't know. Maybe the, the mobile recording company still had it somewhere. It like Those tapes disintegrate. And it might have been on ADAT or something. So I don't know. It could still exist somewhere. Another recording that's uh, been missing ever since probably 1982 or 83 was our very first demo uh, that we did. Someone recently reported Released one song on YouTube, and uh, the, the demo came out really great. It was a hundred dollars for eight hours at this. Uh, it was only eight track studio, but you got eight hours to do whatever you wanted. And I think we did like five or six songs, and and Jason's voice was—he sounded like Darby Crash kind of back then. You know, little bit more uh youthful but definitely had that grind you know <laughs> we did another demo i think a year later or maybe even less but jason ended up <laughs> drinking probably like 20 beers while we were tracking the guitars and stuff and by the time it was time for him to sing he was so drunk that his voice like went down an octave he was like, we had to put like a we had to put a podium up between him and the microphone because he kept bumping into it and knocking it over. It was like so that demo didn't come out as good. But the first demo, I think we brought the half inch mix tape with us to a radio station, a local radio station, and then it was actually an FM like um, mainstream radio station ktyd santa barbara Uh this one guy named fear hypo had a punk rock maybe just a one-hour show and he had us come in and he played our demo on the radio and then we ended up leaving the tapes there and never gotten back (sighs) now those were the master tapes We we didn't have any cassettes or anything so i think the one song that got released on youtube was recorded off the radio
0: but if, if that one song exists, then surely the others might be out there at the same point, you know, at the same yeah. time.
3: I mean the quality is so bad the one that got, just got put out. I mean it was obviously off a thirty-year-old cassette tape, so
0: of a secondary source. So you're heading to you're heading to Europe next month, aren't you? You're heading, over, What's that? You're heading towards us next month with Lagwagon. Yeah,
3: yeah,
0: yeah. So, what can we expect from that tour?
3: Um well, we' we just did a whole tour where we were doing full-length albums. We were doing the double platinum record and then the um, blaze album. This tour we're just playing more of a normal set because wow. we found that even though some of those songs are fun to play, the b-side songs, there's a lot of songs that you saw people on there checking their email. <laughs> And, uh, so it was kind of a, I mean, I, I know a lot of bands do that, the album tour thing, but I don't know if it's always a great idea.
0: So you'll be drawing from, uh, you know, Trashed and, and Hoss as well for this.
3: We're trying to get some of those songs in there. I'm it's, it's, it's kind of like, a, a lot of back and forth with, you know, what Joey wants to sing and what we, we want to play, uh, you
0: know, we'll see what happens. Okay.
3: So I mean, sometimes we start off with a, a set and then we'll start going over other songs that we want to play at soundcheck. And then, you know, it'll renew some uh, enthusiasm and Joey to to sing those songs.
0: (laughs) So I'm I'm still kind of obsessed with this idea that maybe, uh, you you know, you put the arcade aliens together and, and tour that. And if you did, who, who, who would you like to use, you know, as a vocalist? Because obviously Dave would play drums because he was part of the band. Ooh. Yeah, well,
3: when we did the RK Aliens previously, we actually had Boz Rivera on drums. He was the drummer for The Other. Okay. Um, but yeah, but Dave showed interest in doing it. I never thought he would want to. But uh, once once we did that um, that YouTube video, he showed renewed interest in it, so I think Dave probably would want to do it, and uh, I think we would probably ask Tony from Municipal Waste if he wanted to, to say
0: That would be awesome, I, mean, I know Tony pretty well, he's a, he's a he as well as been a great guy, he's a hell of a singer, and he's got more energy than any man half his age would have, you know? <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, we did play that one festival in vitoria in spain uh how was that i don't know four years ago maybe i don't remember and that was with our friend damien on vocals and uh the Gosti's calling festival okay and we got to play pretty high on the bill that was actually massive and <laughs> It was a it was a really fun show and, and everyone got paid. It was it was a really fun experience. That was my fiftieth birthday, so I guess that was four years ago. Um, and so we were playing in you know a kind of northern Spain and and Damien was singing. He goes "Viva Espana" and it was all boo because <laughs> <then, laughs> they're kind of not into they they want to be you
0: know, so you're in Catalonia. Uh,
3: not the wrong, yeah. yeah. So but he, he like kind of repaired it. Repaired
0: it what he did. So so wait a So you recorded Rock Roll Nightmare when you were twenty years old?
3: Uh, I think nineteen,
0: yeah. Jesus. <sighs> How the hell does anybody nineteen years old write a record like that?
3: Bomber well what Bomber wrote the majority of that record and what happened was we were on a US tour and he uh, contracted hepatitis and had to fly home from New York and we had to drive home on, by ourselves. So he was stuck at home for a month and he wrote that whole album during that month. And then he showed once he felt better, he, he basically came over to Barry's house and showed us all these songs. It was like, oh my God. So much more complex than everything we had done. You know, keep laughing. That keep laughing was more represented, you know, resembled the stuff that we started off right. playing.
0: Because Barry went on to play with Gua. Because I'm you know, going back to that sort of idea you had with, you know, Bob wanted to take things more, take about more in, in more theatrical direction and, and sort of choreograph it. And it just seems that what would have been, what Gwa were doing was like a, a sort of weird off-step, but in the same direction, maybe Bomber would have wanted to go. And it's odd that Barry ended up playing in Gwa on the... I
3: don't think Bomber would have been into wearing rubber masks on stage, but <laughs> I mean, he was more into, like, lighting effects and, and using wires to have people fly, and I don't know. He, um, at that time, he was really... He was, like, into real theatre, not, right.
0: like, not, not, movie,
3: not, horror movie stuff. But, yeah, uh, yeah Guar was a perfect fit for Barry because he had gone to film school. He was into uh, slasher movies and all that gore stuff. So it was perfect for him.
0: So do you still talk to Barry? Do you still see him? Is he still around? Or
3: Yeah. He, uh, he's He's on tour in Europe right now with... Playing guitar for Shiza and he also plays guitar with MDC. And, uh, you know, it's possible that if we did ever do an Arcade Aliens tour, that he would be playing guitar.
0: That would be awesome. <laughs> that would just be, yeah. So, I mean, because obviously it be, would be you, Joe, and then Barry, Dave, and Tony. <laughs> that, there's a record in there as well. It really is. <laughs> okay, well, Chris, well, thank you for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. It's been yeah, an absolute. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and hopefully, I'll see you next month with Lagwagon Play. Great. All right. Well, thanks,
3: Tim.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. It's been a. Re- it's been. Yeah. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Okay. Cheers. Bye. 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 That was Chris Rest from RKL, Lagwagon and the other, talking about RKL's new record on Fat Rec, Live in a Dive, and some other punk rocks related stories from over the years and about RKL in general. Um, usually I just say ta-ta and leave you all to it, but the folks of Fat Rec sent us through a track from RKL's new record. Um, so this is Scab My Brain. So kick back, relax, enjoy RKL, and I'll catch you all next time. Uh, ta-ta.
1: Let's try a little bit of fast one now.